Well, today we kind of wrap up our series on Simon Says. And so Elvin has walked us through in the last seven weeks some pretty challenging messages that kind of talked about, the first one was all about Peter and who are you following in life, if you remember that. Uh, who, who you follow makes a big difference in your life. And this, another one that he, then the second one, uh, come and see what kind of people are around you was part of his message. He's called us to follow and then to see the people around us. And then the fine print, what does it really mean to allow Jesus to be part of your life? And those parts. And then being an imitator or imposter was a part of that message as well. Then going on to realize who you are, really deciding if you can really follow Jesus and make him a part of your life. And then last week was all about a yoke. I should have quizzed you to see if you remember all these things and just see, okay, Alvin, they didn't even listen to you when he gets back next week. So. <laughs> it wasn't me. <laughs> so, but this morning, you know, I woke up at about 6.30 this morning and some of the thoughts was going through my head about this message, but it was disturbing because somebody right back about there had their cell phone out and was sharing with their friends and laughing and interrupting the service. And I thought, how dare you? So I actually went down and took their phone away from them. Then someone over there started doing the same thing. So I took their phone away. And then over the PA, stuff started coming through. And so I wasn't able to even speak. And I was like, I'm going to have to change my whole message. Because my message this morning is about loving, you know, it's the passage we look at is loving your neighbor as yourself. And I'm like, I'm going to have to, I don't love my neighbor right now. In fact, they're aggravating me. And so I'm going to like, what am I going to do? But then I realized, no, that was only a part of the message. The part of the message that I'm really speaking on is loving yourself. What does it mean to actually love yourself? And sometimes we live in a society where a lot of people look at it and say, yeah, I really love myself. I, I have all the rights in the world. Uh, everybody should bow down to me. But that's not the essence of it. What he's saying is to love yourself and love others. And we've talked a lot about the others, but not a lot about ourselves. So Simon says this morning, look at the mirror, look at yourself, take a good look at yourself, who you really are as a person. Now, my goal this morning is to make it clear right from the start to create, I don't want to create a bunch of warm, fuzzy feelings. So I'm not going to have you repeat after me a hundred times, I am a wonderful person. <laughs> okay, we're not going to do that. Um, I don't know how many of you woke up this morning and looked in the mirror and said, Man, I'm a beautiful person. <laughs> or maybe you woke up grumpy, and not the person next to you. Um, but sometimes we have those feelings, but that's not what it's all about. What I want to do is zero in on a passage found in Romans 12, thir uh, 3. It says, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Do not think you are better than you really are, be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given us. Somehow that faith is a piece of that whole thing. In the NIV, it says that you should be taking a solemn look at yourself. That don't think highly, more highly of yourself, but don't think less of yourself as well. So sober judgment number one is actually this, understanding the influences that have shaped you as a person. 
You need to understand some of the things around you that have shaped you to be who you are. If you're going to actually do a good job of evaluating yourself, you have to take time to actually do a sober judgment of those things around you. The first thing would be your family of origin. The family you grew up in makes a huge difference in how you see yourself often. Look at a family that's found in Scripture, and this family is a little bit crazy. It's in the first book of the Bible, if you can believe it. Why would we start out the Bible with this verse and, and this story, in a sense? And it's all about these people, Isaac and Rebekah. If you remember some of the Old Testament, they had two sons, twins, Esau and Jacob. Now, Esau, his father loved him more than Jacob. Esau was the one that went out. He was, a, in his father's eyes, a man's man. He went out and shot animals and brought them home and skinned them and ate them. But then Joseph, or Jacob, was the son that the mother liked best. That's a recipe for a bad family. When one loves more than the other. But then the son Joseph goes on to have a family as well. But Joseph, Jacob has several sons, like a dozen or more that we read about in Scripture, but Joseph was who? His dad's favorite. If you haven't learned much about Scripture, you would know at least Joseph had this beautiful coat that he wore proudly, and his brothers didn't like him. In fact, they wanted to kill him when he came out. But one of his brothers said, wait a minute, wait a minute, we can't do that to our brother. We'll just sell him into slavery instead. So he goes off into slavery. Well, if you follow that family story all the way through Genesis, it turns out there's rape and incest and all kinds of stuff that goes on because of a dysfunctional family, a family that had favorites. And that can affect oftentimes the way we, we live our lives. And so... When there's favorites in the family, you know it, and you can sense it. And yet, that flaws us oftentimes. So, not really one big happy family, not at all. But no family is perfect. Is your family perfect? Yes. <laughs> My family wasn't perfect. Uh, they tried, they tried their best, um, but it wasn't perfect. When, when I was about 10 years old, my uncle died in a car accident at 37 years old. At 10 years old, you think, ah, he had a good life. He's pretty old. <laughs> That's half of my life and, and a little bit more. <laughs> but, you know, that affected my life. Two years later, his wife died of cancer. And so we ended up taking in their three kids into our family. So all of a sudden we went like having three sets of twins because we're almost the same age. In fact, my brother Al, kind of a long story, is <laughs> 13 days older than I was. And so we were in the same class together. Different last name, different last name, but that was part of it. And so my family was disrupted in a sense. All of a sudden we took in these three, three kids. And it was a good thing in a sense. Like someone had to take care of these kids and they joined our family. But we had four, bedroom, four boys in one bedroom, three girls in the other bedroom, and one bathroom. If you can imagine that, one bathroom, when we all survived without killing each other. But those things make a big difference in our lives. It impacts us, our family. Our family of origin impacts us. I think of a young girl named Nora. Nora was 13 years old. 
living on the streets of Calgary at 13. Somebody befriended her and said, you know what? You need to go to Bible, to a Bible camp for a week. And she agreed. She went to this Bible camp. There she heard about Jesus for the first time and heard about his love for her and care for her. But she was 13 years old, living with her boyfriend. And some lady at that camp, and I never did find out her name, said, you know what you need to do, Nora? You need to move to Kelowna. And you need to go to Trinity Baptist Youth Group. And she did. (laughs) She actually showed up at our doorstep. And she started attending our youth group. But she knew as she learned more about Jesus that lifestyle had to change. But where was she going to go? So one of my youth leaders took her in and made her a part of their family with their three girls. And she began to understand what it was like to live as a family for the first time. Family of origin really impacts us a lot of times. The second thing we need to really look at in our life when we stop and think about it is the friends you choose. And this is for you in high school or college, the friends that you choose, and also for the adults, because the friends you choose impact you. This verse says this for us. Don't befriend an angry person or associate with hot-tempered people or you will learn to be like them and endanger your soul. A lot of times, the friends you choose are going to impact the way you see life and the way you see yourself. If you hang around with druggies and dopers and smokers, I call it, in high school and beyond, chances are you're going to become that. Now, they're going to come to you as parents and say, no, no, it's just my friends do that. Really? Don't believe them. (laughs) Don't believe them. I worked with hundreds of high school students. I know that they tend to find each other. When I did a retreat with two other youth groups, we actually got together, and within 10 minutes of being on site, all those drug users found each other from all three churches. It didn't take long, and they found each other. So it happens. If you hang around with people who are negative, chances are you're going to be a negative person. If you're going for coffee every morning and having negative talks, it's probably going to rub off on you. But if you hang around with people that the half glass is half full, chances are you're going to see things in a more positive light as well. And you're going to become one of those positive people that makes it easier to be around. You hang around happy people, you're going to probably be happy. Think about it. The people that you hang around with make a big difference in your life. And social media plays a big part in that these days. Social media, you see all the best of people. Yeah? I'm sure they put makeup on before they take the pictures a lot of times. Or they even maybe Photoshop them to make them look better than they are. And social media, sometimes you see the best, and you just start having envy in your life because you say, "I I want that. I want that trip that they're on. I don't know that they sacrificed for five years to go on that trip but I want that. And so we start seeing through those lenses. So I think social media can play a big part in how you see yourself and who you are as a person. There's another one, though, and this is a little tougher one. How about if you're married? If you're single, you don't have to worry about it, but one day you might have to worry about it. But the person that you marry has a huge impact on your life and how you see yourself. Your wife has the possibility of building you up or tearing you down. And your husband has that same possibility. Because you can build each other up or tear each other down. 
Maybe your marriage has gone so far south that you haven't even talked to each other, that you just kind of exist together. And what I want to challenge you to do is out-encourage each other this week. Think about it. Can I out-encourage my spouse? Can I tell her all the good things in life that we've done together? Can we start to remember the good things that we had at one point? Can we dwell into those things and build a romance back into our marriage? It's possible. It's possible. But those are the kind of things that affect the way we see ourselves oftentimes. If it's come to the point where it's all put-downs and always the negative stuff that eats away at our hearts and our lives and how we see ourselves. And so this week, I'm going to give you a challenge. I want you just to out-encourage each other. And if you'd like, you can check out the movie in the back called Fireproof, where they reignited their love for each other. It's a movie that's about 10, 15 years old, I know. But it's there. And if that doesn't work, you can resort to this. Go to the channel that has all your Hallmark movies on it. (laughs) And watch some sappy love movies together that you can predict the ending at the beginning. But, you know, it might just kindle something in your heart. And maybe even make you shed a tear or two for this couple that's going to find each other in paradise and work things out after they break up first and then get back together at the end. But those kinds of things can rekindle some of the love sometimes inside of us. I don't think we ever, I've ever met someone in a bad marriage that hasn't really affected or wrecked their view of themselves. Because oftentimes it comes down to very much negative stuff that continues to go on. My wife, Shirley, she's a great person. And she, you know, when she says, I can do something, I can doggone do it. With her encouragement, I can go, yes, dear, I can, I, can, I can do that. She used to, when I traveled and spoke different places, she'd stuff stuff in my socks, little love notes, little things in my suitcase. Sometimes she'd give them to my youth leaders to give to me and things like that. Sometimes it's just weird stuff like that that she liked to do. But it meant a lot to me as a person because I opened it up and said, yeah, my wife is behind me in this thing, this crazy thing that I call youth ministry and did it for life. Those kinds of things. Sometimes your teaching about God can also impact the way you see yourself. Think about it for a moment. Some of us have had weird teachings about God. Some people would say, like, he's the big guy in the sky. And I don't know if you, when I worked in construction, that was one of the things they would say, well, he's the big guy in the sky waiting to zap you. And I'm like, really? That's your view of God? Or he's a crutch. What do you need him in your life for you? Or lightning would strike if I walked into the church building. Those kinds of comments. I wouldn't believe in that kind of God either. But I think the picture in John 8 that Alexis's dad a couple weeks ago at our missions weekend explained about this woman being caught in adultery, being caught in an act. Uh, these guys brought her forward thinking, yeah, you know what? The religious leader said, we're going to nail him this time. He's going he's to condemn her, and I've got the rocks in my pocket ready to throw them at her. And instead, what did he do? He stooped down and wrote something in the sand, something so profound that they all walked away. I want to know, when Elvin asked me 40 and 40, I don't know if you remember that a year ago, he asked me those things and said, what would you ask God? I said, 
I would ask God, what did he write in the sand? I want to know what he wrote in the sand that actually convicted all those guys to walk away. And in the end, the lady turned to him and said, he said, who condemns you? Jesus said to her, and she turned to him and said, no one's here. He said, then neither do I, but go and sin no more. Perfect picture, I think, of God's love and mercy for each one of us. How do you see yourself in light of Scripture? Because some of you have been taught some very strange and wonderful things. Some of them were even taught at the college that I taught at (laughs) years ago and had some very skewed views of who God was. But I like to see God as this person who loves each one of us deeply, like the songs that we've been singing. He knows your heart. He knows your inners and your outers. So I think when we start looking at ourselves, the first big evaluation then in our life is to look at our family, our friends, social media, our marriages, and the things that you've been taught about God. That's sober judgment number one to look at. All those pieces often feel what you see in the mirror in the morning when you wake up or at night. You have to face these experiences as sober number two. Sober judgment number two is face these fears. Face these scars that you've had in life. People hurt each other at times. Some people have hurt you. Some people have hurt me. Some of you have had your heart broken. For a moment, I want you to think back to the first time that your heart was broken. For some of you in high school, That might have been yesterday. But for some of you that have lived a little longer, there's probably somebody that you were sweet on, guy or girl, that you were sweet on, that kind of lasted for two weeks. And then you said, oh, I don't know if I like her anymore. Or she said, I don't know if I like you anymore. And they broke your heart. What's the name of that person? Think about it for a moment. I was actually going to ask you to share it with the person sitting next to you. But I knew that would make everybody feel uncomfortable. But who's that person? What was that like? I can still remember the person that did that to me. Um, I can tell you her name, but I won't. But (laughs) I thought she was so cute. She was so nice. And then she liked some other guy and dumped me. I don't know, but those kind of things. How many of those, and nobody responded to this in first service, so I don't know if I'll do any better in this service, but how many of you would say that was like 10 years ago or 15 years ago or 20 years ago? And yet that's probably the minorest kind of heartbreak you've experienced because some of you have experienced major heartbreak, real heartbreak that tears at your heart. Some of you have lost a loved one Some of you have gone through a divorce or a separation. Some of you have been shut out of your families where they wouldn't even talk to you. You might have a brother or sister that wouldn't talk to you for years. And you've had that pain and that scar that feeds back into who you see yourself as. So I want to kind of ask you to think about those things. What are some of those comments that people have made? Maybe sometimes it was a teacher who said, you're just stupid. Or you're not going to amount to much in life, like my third grade teacher did to me. He said, if you don't learn how to read and write, 
you'll never amount to anything in life. She said, you'll be a ditch digger. The ironic part was, I actually ended up digging out the back of her house, put new weeping tile in. So she was partly right, but she paid me to do it. But those are scars that sometimes we carry. And you hear of those kind of things that happen in life so often. Peter was one of those kind of people. Elvin reminded us that in his first talk. When he said, you know what? Peter messed up. He did a lot of crazy things, Peter did. But he really messed up when he denied Jesus three times. But then Jesus came back to him and redeemed him and said, will you feed my sheep? Will you feed my sheep? Will you come back to me? What things have scarred you personally? What are some of the scars that you still face in the mirror in the mornings? What are those like? For me, it was when my three cousins came to live with us. When his parents, their parents died. Those were scars early on in my life that I faced. I remember celebrating my 13th birthday with my brother, Al, who's 13 as well. But those kind of things leave marks on your life. I remember having a, a dad who loved us. My mom loved us. They cared for us. They tried to feed us and keep us healthy. He loved to give me responsibility, but rarely, rarely did he ever give me encouragement. And in all my sports years, being in sports for four years, you would know this. <laughs> he never showed up once in three sports a year for four years straight. Just once to cheer me on. Those leave scars in your life as well. I know he loved me, but he didn't never put down his work long enough to come and see me participate. So those things scar us oftentimes. But you know what? In life, we all have rough edges. So I'm going to ask you to take your mirror this morning. Some of you have been fiddling with it throughout the service. Some of you have probably sanded a hole through the back of it already. But you know, we all have rough edges. But throughout Scripture, he says, I will help you to take off those rough edges. So I'm going to ask you to take your mirror gently and sand the edges all the way around. The front, four corners, the back, four corners. And may that remind you that Jesus does love you and he takes the rough edges off of our lives for us when we rely on him. Now, some of you are overdoing it. <laughs> You've got a lot of rough edges in life. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you to stop for a moment. Because the God who takes off those rough edges builds into our lives, comes alongside, and says, I love you deeply. I want to be a part of your life. I sent my son to die for you. I sent my son to die for you on a cross. Romans 5.8 says this. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. He said, I love you so much that I'm going to send my son to be a part of your life and take your sins upon him. God can love you just the way you are. God, the Holy One. If he can love you, 
and for sure he does, his grace and power will work at healing you. But it doesn't change his love for you. Realize he loves you. He accepts you just the way you are. Let his love change you as you look into the mirrors of life. Because we all have rough edges and we all have some scars. But he says, I I want you, I want you to see yourself as a beautiful person. One that is loved deeply by him and cared for by him. Thanks so much for joining us today. We trust you have been encouraged and challenged in your faith journey. If you're desiring prayer, want more information on our church, want to partner with us or be involved in any way, please go to our website at mountoliveefc.com. We'll see you next time.